Welcome, everybody, to another installment of Innovation Crush. There used to be an echo that would happen after that. Somebody would go, Innovation Crush. And then, wait, that guy's long gone. Uh, kicked him to the curb. Shout out to Robert Donez Jr. Anyway, uh, my name is Chris Denson, your gracious host. And um, in case you don't know, this show kind of follows innovation, um, mostly in the marketplace, mostly in ideas, mostly in wherever we see good innovation happening and some of the, the brightest minds behind them. And uh, today, uh, probably the the brightest mind of all, uh, a gentleman by the name of Walter O'Brien. Say hello, Walter. Hello, Walter. Hello, Walter. That's such a good joke. <laughs> you already you're already getting the gist of the show. Um, so I'm going to allow you to do a little bit of a 101 on who Walter O'Brien is. Um, I'm a, I'm already a big fan, but uh, you tell me why I should be a fan of you. You've got a great story. <laughs> okay. Um, well. I'm not sure if you want to be a fan of me, but <laughs> most people are not against the concept of celebrating intelligence. And um, I discovered at a young age I had a pretty high IQ and um, ended up in a gifted children's society and fell in love with computers and was a curious kid, so I ended up getting a little trouble for that work. And um, that led me to working with other prodigies, high IQ individuals with IQs over 150, and trying to work on computers, just fixing computers for people to, to uh, as a job. But it turned out that people with high IQ ha- were uniquely better and worse for that job. They were better right. in that they made less mistakes, they were highly loyal, and they loved what they do. They were worse in that if you put two of them on the same project, they'd try and kill each other, and they had no social skills, so they would tell the customer anything uh, <laughs> uh, with no filter. He did it. Like, so kind of like a. Well, let's back up really quick because you mentioned you discovered at a young age, right? Like, how does that happen? You know, and what age is young, and how does the discovery actually happen? Well, before the discovery, I was just a kid who didn't fit in at school or at home, and teachers complained that for every one question another kid had, I had ten questions, and that I talk a lot in class because they hadn't invented the term ADHD back then, right? Um, so. They took me for IQ testing, and my test results came back as 197, which was that time the fifth highest in the world, and uh, that qualified me to be part of the Gifted Children's Society. So I basically found out what was wrong with me. Right, <laughs> which was nothing. And, and is that, uh, you know, the, so fast forward a little bit, um, there is a series that's uh, being launched about your life, right, um, called Scorpion. And uh, in one scene in the trailer, there is a kid at a restaurant, and he's there, and he's the the son of uh, a waitress, I believe. And um, and suddenly, throughout the trailer, you discover that this kid is also gifted, but he's also very similar to what you're talking about, kind of alienated in a lot of ways socially. Uh, what was that experience like? And then to, at least for you, and then to actually discover that, oh, wow, I'm I'm kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm still struggling with me being kind of cool. I, 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 I can I, see it. But at least I found out there, there was um, what was wrong with me was fixable. Right. Because over your lifetime, your IQ doesn't really change, but your EQ can. Right. So if I have to choose between one of them being low, I prefer the EQ to be low. And... Um, like you said, you fast-forwarded a bit, but yes, the last 25 years have been me working with other prodigies, learning 
how to raise their EQ, and by learning what was wrong with the student, I learned what was wrong with the teacher. So, so define a little bit what EQ like. You're, I mean, you're talking about literally a vibrational frequency of you know, or no EQ is just emotional quotient. It, okay, it okay. means your ability to have social skills, have a good sounding board or filter, right. be able to tell whether people are lying to you or not being able to read the mood of a room, knowing if someone says they're fine, that they're really not fine, they're upset, right. and not taking everything literally. Being able to process humor and sarcasm and, and things like that, knowing how to fit into a team, when to say the right thing. All the things we learned in the playground we take for granted, Right. well, it didn't come naturally and doesn't take, isn't taken for granted for folks with high IQ. For us, our internal sounding board is broken because we ask ourselves if it's appropriate to say something. Right. And ourselves is a bad sounding board to check with. That's a, yes. Well, trust me, I've been there. <laughs> um, and then just as you as you start to you know evolve, right? You, you mentioned getting into a little trouble. I, I think you were thirteen at the time. Um, and can we can talk about that a little bit? Sure. You can read about it. So uh, you hacked into NASA. Yes. Uh, another shout out to George Whitesides, who's a, a, a friend of the show. Um, I don't know if he showed up at your house or not, but <laughs> personally. Um, but th- was there a balance between, like you're, you're saying, like, the social skills and, and knowing, like, how far is enough? Or were you just curious, like, how does hacking happen for a 13-year-old? I think hacking is primarily curiosity-driven. If someone tells a 13-year-old, you can't have this, you can't see this, and it's not for you then they will have sleepless nights for three or four days and work like crazy to try and get what they're not allowed to have. And is it true that um, when, the, when you got home and the black cars were outside, that you pulled out extradition papers? Correct. I had uh, filled out in advance extradition waivers in case this situation should occur because I knew that that's what uh, the play was for my other hacker buddies. That right. Okay. Knowing how I got in was far more important than uh, putting me in jail. Um, and then, so you fell in love with the computers and you've, got, you've gotten into artificial intelligence and a lot of other, and international security, which I would imagine combines all of those things. Um, you know, uh, how did you, how did you filter the opportunities? I, I would imagine like you had this discovery at a young age of who you are and you, the, almost the world becomes your oyster, right? It's almost, it's almost to, to a layman, it almost becomes a superpower of sorts. And you're like, oh, what I could do so many different things. What was it about computers that really compelled you to, to, you know, to find that as your passion? Well, I think I'm, most people are either left-brain dominant or right-brain dominant slightly, so they're either more artistic or more mathematical. For me, I'm extremely left-brain dominant and more like 95.5. Oh, wow. So because of that, um, there was a lot of things I wasn't good at. I couldn't cook. I couldn't play music. I couldn't dance. I wasn't great at sports. But when I came across computers, I thought the exact same way they thought. We were both left-brained. So it intuitively came naturally to me, and I was really good at it. And um, you know, a lot of kids are attracted to the things they're suddenly naturally really good at. For um, me, it was women. But it's There a, you go. It's a long, long story. Um, there's some mathematics to that, too. <laughs> So then um, once I got into it and found that artificial intelligence is really the study of oneself. How do we learn? How do we walk? How do we talk? How do we remember? How do we see? How do we process uh, stories? How do we infer things? Um, that I found that just a fascinating rabbit hole to go down. Right. And combining that with computers then, which is effectively robotics, 
um, was just a, just an endless area to go into. Plus, I started in 1987, so wow. I was at the beginning of the largest industrial revolution in our lifetime and the largest employer in the world. So if I hadn't made any money by now, I'd actually be pretty stupid. <laughs> and you've, you've done quite well with Scorpion and Scorpion Industries. Um, can you just walk us through for those who may not know what you know your company is? And I'm actually curious about like, like why you even picked the name. I saw the ring. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to see if I can get one before the end of the show. <laughs> um, but no, like just kind of walk us through like what Scorpion is and and um, and why the name. Sure. Well. The name is an interesting story. Uh, basically, back in Ireland, uh, there was a, it's an agricultural-based culture, so there was a tradition in the schools of nicknaming kids after animals with the same traits. And I had gone through a trauma when I was a kid, so I was silent for about 18 months and didn't have a nickname for a while. Um, but I had been bullied and teased for being different, and eventually uh, that bully kind of stepped over a line with me. And... Um, didn't realize I've been doing full contact martial arts since I was seven. So <laughs> we. Um, this story gets better and better, like every, there with was every a, second. There was a certain amount of ass kicking involved. And they ended up uh, naming me Scorpion, which is a very docile creature that you can kick around a lot until you can't, until you cross that line. And also, a scorpion is fiercely loyal to its cyclone, which is what they call a collection of scorpions. So um, when the NASA incident happened, my online hacker name was Scorpion. And there's no press is bad press. So we, uh, That's true. We, uh, the company just became Scorpion Computer Services, meaning me helping people with their computers. Right. And it just grew organically from there. And you kind of asked about how do you choose which opportunities. Yep. Well, at 13, I didn't have any strategic business plan on what I chose. But my mentor basically told me at the time, um, you know, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. So I did. I took every opportunity that came in. I just gradually kept sleeping less and less. Right. Scaling and training people as fast as I could and tried to stay on top of it. So in my lifetime, I don't think I've had to – I've walked away from people but never projects in terms of choosing what we work on. Sure. And I, I believe infinite bandwidth is simply another funded problem to work on. Scalability. Yeah. Um, and how does your company achieve scale, right? Like, you know, from what I've read, you have other prodigies, other very intelligent people all around the world. And, you know, it's almost like Professor X, right? You got to you have to find them, um, you know, kind of explain a little bit of the structure, the you know, the way the company is set up. Sure. And you also asked me what the company does now. And I want to sure. answer that. Sure, sure, sure. So the, to understand the structure, first of all, we develop about seven different therapy programs that raise the EQ of someone, but we hit a glass ceiling. I re- realized that you can raise the EQ to about average level, which makes them functional as a team, but they'll never be the salespeople, the branding people, the marketing people that you need, the account managers you need interacting with the customers. So I went the opposite direction and hired high EQ people who have a reasonable IQ. And those we call the super nannies because they babysit the geniuses <laughs> and the customers. Awesome. And in our business, the customers are always wrong. So what happens then is the customer gets the best emotional experience and the prodigies do the best execution experience. And that's a pretty good combination for a consulting firm. So our company has been in evolution for 25 years. And basically, for the longest time, we would uh, say that we would solve any technical problem. 
we're classically trained in computer science and engineering and electrical engineering and artificial intelligence. There was almost nothing technically we couldn't figure out or build. And then in recent years, we had 14 billionaires and two royal families as customers. And they hired us initially for cybersecurity and stopping hacking and so on. But eventually... Uh, started asking us to solve problems like their daughter got kidnapped or build a casino in Vietnam or things right. like that where there was nothing to do with technical anymore. They just trusted that um, we were organized intelligence and we could solve any problem. And it made me take a step back and realize that as a computer scientist, I'm really trained to turn ambiguity into absolute. Right. Take some fuzzy preferences and turn them into ones and zeros. So that allowed us to open up a new business or new brand to our business this year. So people are familiar with the concierge at a hotel, the sure. concierge down, tasks that are too simple to do yourself. Tickets to the opera or get dry cleaning. Mm -hmm. So imagine if you could concierge up things that are too complicated or you don't have time to do in your own life. Like retire your parents, write a best-selling book, um, choose winning racehorses based on their DNA. Right. Any crazy idea you have, and you have some money to look into it, but you just have no idea how to execute it. So people now go to conciergeup.com and they type in their funded wish and we make it come true. Shameless plug. There it is. Conciergeup. Even if it's put a shark tank in your office. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's pretty awesome. Um, it, it's really interesting you talk about a, a common theme that comes up on the show, especially as marketers or just creative people and you know, whatever you're creative with. You're always a translator of some sort. You know, I work in marketing, and when I look at a brand's principles and the things that they stand for and the products and services that they have, I have to translate those into some sort of activation, right? Some sort of form of engagement, right? And you're translating, you know, these, you know, the the science of it all into tangible things. How how much of that is, you know, a lot of times because I work in innovation also. Uh, people don't necessarily understand what they're getting themselves into. Like, how do you go about translating, you know, your service into layman's terms or people who may have doubt or are skeptical or feel like there's a divide between your IQ and their IQ? Well, for people with doubt, we'd recommend they hire us for two hours because we never, um, we never lock anyone into our company. We have our own currency system and our own separate business model for how to hire us. So when they talk to us for a couple of hours, if we're not the smartest people they've worked with, they can pull the plug and walk away with their money. And um, that way we don't have to, to effectively trick people into uh, right. sticking with us along for long term. And it'll become very evident very quickly that as soon as they say, here's kind of sort of what I was thinking, that in very plain English and a very logical way, we'll start breaking down, here's the 15 steps you need to get there. We've done seven of them before. Would you like to see a picture? Right. And they start realizing that these things that they were thinking were unreachable are actually very doable and can be executed reasonably quickly, probably quicker than they could do it themselves if they had the time. Well, it's the whole idea of the service, right? Is like, you know, like I said, it's a concierge. It's a super super butler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then let's let's get into uh, Scorpion the series for a second, you know, because a lot of people are like. I should write a book about my life or, you know, you should make a movie about you. Um, when did that become real? Um, the show, we really uh, put it together about eight months back, um, which sounds like a short period of time. It's a very short period so of time. There's, 
It's a, it's a super short period of time. There was a lot of thought behind that. Well, again, we tend to execute. Literally, quickly. there was a lot of thought behind it. Yes. Um, and what happened was um, Scooter Braun, COO, mm-hmm. Scott Manson, had worked with Scorpion several times before he worked with Scooter. And they had, uh, with Justin Bieber, done their movies and uh, said, you know, do you want to tell the greatest story ever, never told? Right. And... Um, and at the same time, on our side, the reason we were motivated to do it is our harvesting department that you alluded to earlier, which goes out and finds high IQ mm-hmm. kids in 20 countries around the world, uh, was running dry. We're pretty much finding everyone who tested themselves as a genius. Now we need people who don't know they're a genius. They just have low EQ right. to come find us, come out of the closet and find us. So by putting this show together and putting together, you know, the top producers in Hollywood who did Transformers, Spider-Man, and Star Trek, the writers who did Sopranos, Prison Break, and Hostages, and mm-hmm. the director from Fast and the Furious, and giving them a, a good-sized budget, they made, you know, the highest-rated pilot in history. I think the pilot tested higher than ER. It's a, it, I mean, it's, um, it, it's such an amazing premise, right? Like, it's not a plot line you hear often. It's the A-team with MacGyver and right. Han- Hannibal as Tony Stark. Right. Right, so you know, it's it's got a little. And bit I of take it you're Hannibal, right? Is this is this where you're going? You're, you got your Iron Man suit ready, <laughs> working on the cars. Where's the cigar in the dinosaur costume? That's what. I was. So yeah, it's it's uh, well. The thing is, we grew up watching that stuff, uh-huh. and now I gr- run a group of oddballs trying to save the world. You know, that's not a coincidence, right? So you, one of the goals of the show is imagine five or eight years from now kids who grew up watching us as the A-team. Exactly. Who start studying computer science and artificial intelligence because we made it look cool. Right. That might have a more interesting effect than the Kardashians or Jersey Shore. I hope so. Um, she, uh, Kim just put out a book of selfies. Just so, so, you know, when, when next time you're at Barnes & Noble, get yourself a copy. <laughs> I'll read it for the article. <laughs> exactly. Um, you, oh, you touched on a concept that I actually had written down, which was, you know, Art imitating science or vice versa? Like, do you have a thought on the divide? Like, when, you know, when does, you know, for instance, um, X Prize has a tricorder prize that's active now, right? They may not have even thought of an X, a tricorder had it not been for Captain Kirk. Um, versus these things that have been invented, like, it's the complete what if, and not like how can we, but what if, you know? The universe is, is pretty random in terms of what you can get people to focus on. So would we have invented a tricorder, meaning some kind of pocket-held device that scans all your, all your medical vitals um, right there on the spot? Yes, inevitably we would do it. But if we set up an X prize to do it with a prize and a focus and a budget and a deadline, it'll happen much quicker because now you're leading humans to focus. Right. And we have several projects we do that with, and some long-term ones that are 30 years long where we're leading people to focus, but we believe assigning a deadline and a budget to something makes it happen sooner. So I think uh, in the film industry, in the movie industry, you know, it's exploration. It opens up people's imagination, and there's no restriction to the writers in terms of the next episode of Star Trek. You know, if they want a a teleportation device, they just make one up, and there it is. They don't have to worry about the logistics of making it actually work. Um which we are working on now and have a version of. Nice. Is that how you got here today? You avoided the 405 completely? <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering how you got uh, in the, in the, past the door. <laughs> so, yeah, I think art, uh, art imitating science, I think art 
is free creativity and thought. And I think the science will inevitably get there, but it's quicker if everyone's already visualized it. And especially if someone offers prize money of who gets there first. <laughs> That's true. Turn anything. Give into somebody a, an incentive and, and a deadline. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah I'm, you I'm can, here. You can turn anything into a space race. That's true. Well, there's a, a project that really kind of blew my mind recently I heard about was the 100-year Starship project, which is like we want to get to the next solar system or the next galaxy in, in the within the next 100 years. And I think they're like 15, 20 years into it. So it's like the people who have started it won't very likely will not be able to see it come to fruition. Um, so it's just a really interesting concept to think that, you know, when you think about those long lead, lofty, at least to some people, kind of goals, um, what happens out there. Um, with the, as, uh, as the show sort of came to fruition, like what became your role, right? Cause you've got a company to run, right? And did you just act in a consulting capacity? Do you have a producer's credit? What you know? Just what was that dynamic like? You know, making yeah. this come to, to fruition. Well, I mean, main character on the show has my name for a reason. I mean, right. CBS did a deal with me to um, to tie all this together because they've got twenty five years of stories to tell. Yeah. And um, I'm the exec producer on the show. I've been heavily involved in every every stage of it. I meet with the writers, give them the real stories. They take those down and kind of mash a few of them together. Maybe change what cities they happened in come back to me with a script covered in AWs, which means Ask Walter. <laughs> so then I review the script, you know, what's... Not, what's, not root beer stains. What's, <laughs> what's the right lock for this? Right. What's a cool way to break into here and how to get off this roof? And, you know, what would be feasible here? So I add in the technical bits and some gadgets and things they didn't think existed. And, right. And then um, I'm on set uh, whenever I can, a couple of days a week. Uh, I'm sitting with the, the actors and trying to help them get up to speed on what took 25 years for me to get up to speed on. Right. And um, I'm a reasonably quick study, so it's, it's hard for them to try and understand, okay, what does this language mean? What are, how do you, these, what are these pronunciations? What am sure. I, they've, they've got the dialogue, but they don't know what they're really saying. So I try and sit with them and explain simple terms. Here's what you're doing here. Yeah. And that helps them deliver the dialogue much better. Yeah, it's always interesting when, you know, when... I'm sure the dialogue between you and your your A team um, might have been, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but might have been a little bit more um, informed than what you might have to dumb down for a CBS audience, right? It, or is that like, and how did was there any point where you felt like you're losing the essence of what the experience was, or you know? how the problems were solved. That's always the trade-off and it's always the battle, but I think CBS and the writers have been extremely good at not wanting to dumb it down too much. I mean, think of when House MD or ER first came on the air. Right. We weren't all doctors, but we got the gist of the language and we, right. knew, we knew half the language. It's a whole lot of blood. <laughs> so that was just my, my, my exclamation. Um, <laughs> by the end of the series, I, you know, everyone half knew what the language meant in, a, in an emergency room. And I think it's the same here. I don't think we want to hide it from the audience. I want sure. them to enjoy the vernacular and the um, the universe. And I think they'll understand the gist of it. And I think you'll be surprised how much the younger generation will will absorb it and get it much better than the older generation initially. Well, it's like you touched on earlier. It's like each generation is sort of a springboard for the next, right? And so, excuse me, they, there's a lot more information available 
to kids probably than, you know, because you're about a year older than I am. Um, so, you know, back when you and I were kids, like the access, well, you had a lot more access to information than I did. <laughs> but, the, you know, the readily accessible uh, sets of information weren't as vast as they are now. Like we had a guy on a show who's Forbes 30 under 30. He was able to convince his, he just he had just turned, he was about to turn 21 uh, the day after he was on the show. And um, he was able to convince his parents to let him go to school online, right, and complete his high school diploma. Like, that was not an option for me in 19. Um, and so, you know, there's a, there, to me, there's also a whole other underpinning is that um, geeks, um, engineers are kind of the new rock stars. Right. And then uh, I look at your journey from, you know, adolescence and, and an awkward start to now. Do you feel like there's sort of either a responsibility or, you know, like you're kind of the poster child of possibility for a whole bunch of kids that are being talked about both in good and bad socially um, and social ways? But does that how does that weigh on you? Well, I think I feel their pain, and I do feel a responsibility to alleviate that pain. That's why I created a home for the mentally enabled, right. an orphanage for smart people, if you like, because they got nowhere else to go. Is that a, are you, it's a literal, uh, literal? Okay. And the, the frustration that a high IQ prodigy would experience would lead them to suicide by age sixteen if they're not gotten to or found their vocation before then. Wow. Um, so it's a pretty serious problem, and. Maybe as uh, adults, let's say 25 years old and older, we see geeks as a little more rock star-ish, a little cooler, better life, the way we used to maybe envision uh, lawyers and doctors and others where we know they'll do well, uh, they financially have no worries, and they're an attractive member of society. But before that age, in in the high school and in elementary school, we don't feel that way in this country. And that that is a huge... um, issue with, with uh, the perception of studying this area. Uh, we spoke to a kid recently we brought in whose IQ was off the charts. She's a 13-year-old Chinese girl. Mm-hmm. And through her interpreter, we spoke to her. And uh, I said to her, it must have been hard for her at school, being teacher's pet, being bullied in the playground, not having friends, et cetera, et cetera. She had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> she said, I was teacher's pet, which means I was the most popular kid. I was like the head cheerleader. Right. Everyone wanted to be my friends because their parents told them to be my friends because they knew I was going somewhere. And I realized I'm the one who's screwed up here, right. that what she's saying is the way things should be. But over in this country, that'll get you killed in the playground. It's, it's so interesting bringing sort of the cultural differences globally, you know, speaking, like where, how things are perceived and, and what are the social nuances. Um, are there, so for in, in China, right, for her, was there any sort of ostracizing, you know, based on her in, intelligence level? No, we had a long conversation about it because I was kind of blown away yeah. going, Really? Society actually appreciates someone who could cure cancer? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, what? What a concept. Right. <laughs> You've not been beaten up at all? Um, I w- and this is just kind of a sidebar, but like, I wonder why, you know, and this is, uh, this is an age-old problem. Uh, you know, I grew up in Detroit, and, you know, it's kind of like it's almost cool to not be <laughs> smart. Why, do you have any thoughts on, like, why that is? You know, because shows like Scorpion haven't been on the air. <laughs> there, you, there you go, another plug. Um, no, it, 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 but you're no, right. it's, it's influence. You know, it's right. They, I saw a chart recently showing that head coaches 
uh, especially basketball coaches at, at schools, right. have an average salary of like a million dollars, and the math teacher gets sixty grand a year. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, that's yeah. the problem right there. <laughs> I, no, I guess so. It's like yeah, this the the level of influence and the types of, of things that we we uh, we celebrate for whatever reason. Um, and I, you're right with shows like. Uh, Scorpion or just even STEAM and STEM education kind of coming more to the forefront or non-traditional things like cuisine and cooking being cool now, right? A 10-year-old boy can be like, being a chef is cool. Whereas first it was like the big hat and like, your your mom's the lunch lady. Like it was it was an embarrassing skill to have. I, uh, I actually enjoyed making snickerdoodles in home ec. There you go. Go ahead, do something with that. <laughs> um, artificial intelligence, there's a TED challenge that's coming up. Um, have you heard about this? Uh, I think it might be through XPRIZE where it's like they're, there's a, they want a form of artificial intelligence that will be able to give a TED talk on its own. Um, when I hear that, I go, that's scary. Right, like the joke is every time I tell somebody about this, the joke is like, and then the lasers come out and and, and everybody's held captive, um, and that's the beginning of it. Uh, is how do you deal with the fear of artificial intelligence? You you phrase it so eloquently and beautiful, and like ah, it was very attractive proposition the, w- the way you put it. But I think for most people, it's like they've seen too many uh, Terminator movies. Right? Yeah, who happens to be on our show, actually, <laughs> Robert, Robert Patrick. Terminator. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, this is, but also this is uh, very much media-driven. Every time, you know, if I discuss a movie concept around artificial intelligence or uploading the brain or transcendence or any mm-hmm. of that, the society and, and, frankly, the writers have to jump into it and go, and then it ruins the world, and then we kill them all and go back to Armageddon. <laughs> and I'm like, why? Why are we so married to this current yeah. world as being perfect as it is? I think uh, neo-humanism is the way to go. I mean, we, there's no reason to believe that the current society is the optimal situation. I think things can be better. And we use artificial intelligence every day. Every time you log into Amazon and it guesses what you want to buy next. Yeah. Or you Google and it figures out what you're really trying to spell. Those are all forms of artificial intelligence. and. They're not turning into the Terminator. It's, right. it's aiding us. It's, I believe in AI in IA over AI. So AI being artificial intelligence, right. IA being intelligence augmentation. Why not just augment the intelligence we have the same as we would use binoculars to see further? Yeah. And I think it'll. It's already around us. We just don't want to admit it, and it'll continue to grow. Well, I think it, you know. It's, there's a another common theme that comes up on the show, and it, it kind of alludes to one of my favorite quotes, which is, you know, it's not that people don't like change; they don't like the transition, right? It's the it's the gray area in between times that's really uncomfortable. Like yeah, I can recall a time when. You know, I thought the self-checkout was stupid or like, why should I send you a text message? You can just call me like all these sorts of uncomfortable transitions. Now I text more than I talk on my phone. And, you know, if I'm in a hurry, I'm going to the self-checkout like it's a it became a convenience. Um, And I feel like it takes pioneers. There's a guy we had on the show, uh, Chris Dancy who's known as the most connected man on the planet. You know, they call him Cyborg. Uh, but he censors galore. He loves the idea of collecting data on his, every, like, from meetings to how many times, how many chews he took on his gum, you know, just all these different things. And his perspective was, you know, I'm going to use all this information to arrive at a solution or the, the or the data will give me the solution. Um 
are we there yet where people are agree with you and they see it or are we still in the fear based you know part of like oh my gosh like big brothers watching you mentioned amazon right i i kind of don't like the fact that if i go looking for a bag on you know amazon it pops up in my you know my google email I'm like ah, I didn't. I didn't ask for this, <laughs> right? But it, and in a way, you're right. It's a it's a convenience. So, where it, where are we on that timeline? In in so not from your perspective, but just like societally. I think society won't have a lot of say in it. I mean, it's it's back to that old adage: those that care don't matter, and those right. that matter don't care. Uh, those who matter don't care. <laughs> uh, at this point. Um, I don't so know if I'm offended by that yet or not, but if, no. we, if, you, if you look at uh, you know Google's purchases over the last three years, mm-hmm. they bought Deep Minds for 450 million, yep. which is deep artificial intelligence and learning algorithms, and then they bought Boston Dynamics, which is uh, the latest and greatest in robotics and exoskeletons. Right? Why does a search engine need that? Yeah. Um, you know, it, there's once this stuff comes out, it'll supersede humans so quickly. Again, it doesn't mean it turns into Skynet. But right. it just means the convenience factor and the efficiency of it um, means that no matter how much people object to it, don't like it, don't. There's people who still don't want to buy into using iPads. Right. There's people who still don't want to, who still laugh that they can't turn on their computer. Well, you know, 1900. Shout out to my mom. Well, in the 1900. You may not like my next sentence. <laughs> no, I get, I, no, keep going because I, I get those phone calls all the time. Like, ah, how do I watch this YouTube video? I'm like, just never mind. Well, you know, several decades ago, people would be embarrassed to say they're illiterate that they can't read or write. Right. Laughing now about how much of a non-nerd you are because you can't turn on your computer and you can't use email means you're just admitting to the room that you're completely illiterate and right. useless in today's society. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll go with that. Um, and um, the show is called Innovation Crush uh, as you know Uh, what have you seen out there either as a cultural trend um, a technology a cuisine just anything that kind of inspires you um, that you find innovative what are you crushing on well I'm crushing on the 2045 project on immortality yes uh, 2045.com um, because it's the one philanthropic venture that solves all problems known to mankind. Now, it creates a few new ones, right? but it, um, it resolves all of our terminal diseases, starvation, poverty, overpopulation, uh, global warming. All of those things get fixed with one silver bullet. And I think that's, that's the best and highest use of my time. So I spent over 1,000 hours and a couple of million bucks on it last year. Wow ourselves, the money that we generate goes into that because I, I believe that is the, the highest and best use of our skills. Right. And along those lines, when we get there, right, when we get to 2045 or this sort of, you know, assisted utopia, where does humanity go? Right. Because if, at the end, like, what do we have left to do? <laughs> you know, what <laughs> what happens because you go, you imagine this euphoric time where you like you walk into your house and the lights come on and your car drives by itself. Like, does this allow us more time to evolve that left brain, right brain? Like, what what happens to humanity as in in that? Well, that's exactly it. I mean, again, to use your earlier analogy, let's look at Star Trek. They didn't have rent to pay. They never used or had money on deck. Everything was in abundance. If they wanted to eat, they went to the cafeteria and didn't have to pay for it. If they wanted to drink, they go to the bar and don't have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. They all have quarters to live in, and if they want to be a security guard or a doctor, they can be, and they follow their vac- vocation, and the education for that's free as well. 
because why do we need money if we have an abundance? Right. Right. There's no need to ration it out. So it's the same with this. If if we all didn't have to scramble every week to pay our rent, maybe we'd pick up a book. Maybe we'd start being philosophical. Maybe we'd think things through and start researching yeah. either inside of our bodies or outside in the universe and start expanding and evolving so we're interplanetary before the first asteroid hits us. Um, and Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the highest level is self-actualization. Right. Who are you actually? Why are you here? What's your purpose on this planet? Unfortunately, until people get past the point of survival, paying the rent, paying the mortgage, paying for the kids going to college, et cetera, et cetera, they're 65 by the first time they get to think about who they are as a person. Why are they here and what's the yeah. point in life? And often it's too late by then. Um, intellectually speaking, do we all have the same intellectual capacity as you and you were able to awaken it or discover it at a certain age? Or is it like we are all scientifically dealt our cards? We're all dealt our cards. Um, Damn. <laughs> You're just Maria. I'm Sorry. It's Maria's first day. You just depressed her. Well, what you do with those cards, I mean, most people misunderstand IQ. The best analogy I have for it is IQ is like horsepower in an engine. I can take a 500 horsepower engine and put it in a very cheap car. First time that car tries to turn a corner at 200 miles an hour, it'll hit the, hit the wall. <laughs> it explodes. So the well-roundedness and social skills and EQ is all in a car analogy, refinement and brakes and handling and aerodynamics. So you can turn that cheap car into a Formula One car or IndyCar right. with a powerful engine. Now it's a well-rounded car that can beat all the other cars. Right. But if you're well-rounded and you don't have the horsepower, it's no good. And if you have the horsepower and you're not well-rounded, it's no good. That's why the most successful people in the world have an IQ that's around 120. They're just smart enough. And the rest of it is they're well-rounded. Hmm. There may be hope after all. What's your, do you know your IQ? No. I can tell what it is. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Sorry about that. <laughs> it is the hair. It's beautiful hair, right? Um, I'm glad you. This, this, she's having a good first day. Uh, no, that's. I mean, it's really interesting because I, I think you mentioned f- philosophy a minute ago, and you combine intelligence, and especially when we go to to the you, you know the utopian future of sorts. Um, part of my theory is always that there will be some form of opposition, right? Like there will be war, there will be drugs, there will be some people who are not well-rounded as you just put it, or don't have the right, the right engine in the, in the right car. Um, you know, is that unavoidable or do you foresee like, you know, this abundance that we could experience being a solution to many of those issues? I think it'll solve some of those issues. But like you said, there's a transition that has to happen. And people always reject change. You know, people religiously are against this kind of change. And people politically are against this kind of change. But again, the evolution of society is not going to stop because a few people believe against it. Right. Things getting better, faster, cheaper, more, more comfortable and more convenient uh, isn't going to stop. Right. Yeah, you know, that's why people adopted Uber so quickly. Yeah. Yes. I, I love Uber. Um, complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is... Innovation to me is being unaffected by peer pressure and 
having the ability to visualize what's not there and the leadership skills to march a team of people towards it without getting shot in the back. Wow. That's, a, that's pretty profound. Um, is there a risk of being shot in the back when you're, I guess, I guess when you're leading? Always. <laughs> the definition of a leader is he's the first to get shot, just hopefully not in the back. Yes, that's, that's great. Uh, where can people find out more about you, about Scorpion? Where do we go? Where do we stalk you? I, it's probably well, virtually impossible to do that. But ScorpionComputerServices.com, um, our hit press on there. But uh, that's the nice thing is you Google the show and the, the name of the, of the show and the main character, it's, you'll find the real company and uh, the real press of the real stuff that we do. What what has this done for you as an individual? Right, the having the show and it goes. You know, now you're synonymous with a soon to be very amazing television series. Um, you know, the, what is that? The, how does it change things for you? It's only changed things for me in terms of because I didn't do it for the traditional reasons. You know, I, I'm not in front of the camera and I didn't need the money, so I'm doing it for the, the three reasons I mentioned that we have more geniuses every day, even before the show is launched, sending in their resumes, reaching out, sending in their IQ tests. Ten, I spoke to a 10-year-old kid last night who's the youngest app developer in Europe who's on his third language and third app that he's developed. Wow. Those are the kind of people we want to find and take in. One of those kids is worth 10,000 other kids for their impact on the world. And um, so finding them, our uh, business has increased dramatically. We're getting about three concierge up requests per hour. Wow. Uh, for different dreams people want to come true. And people are always surprised at things they thought were impossible. And we say, no, that's possible. It'll just take about two months. And then lastly, the influence. I mean, I'm getting constantly hit with people going, you know, I'm going to college. I'm going to change my major What to computers. What should I study? What books should I read? What languages should I yeah. learn? And I do my best to get back to everyone uh, to try and give them that help and that, that feedback. So that will influence the next generation of kids. That's beautiful. Um, so th- those are my driving factors, and that's, that's the side effects is what satisfies me. Yeah. It's branded entertainment. It's a, it's a great marketing push. And I think, it, you know, I applaud you for giving those kids license to, you know, be who they are. Like, it, 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 to me, like, that was the biggest surprise of this conversation is, like, giving, you know, a whole generation or a whole group of, you know, seemingly outcasts a license to, to be who they are. I'm just fighting for the greatest minority we have. And I'm trying to save the, right people, on, brother. the people who can save the most people. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I want to thank you for joining us. Um, this has been great, you know, um, and, you know, we'll make sure that we follow up and get, get the Scorpion series out there and people find you online and, and hear your story a little bit more. So thanks for having me. Appreciate the questions. All right, everybody. This has been another installment of Innovation Crush, and we will talk to you next time. like listening to comedy try watching it on the internet the folks behind the sideshow network have launched a new youtube channel called wait for it it's got interviews with comedians like reggie watts todd glass liza schleichinger slicing driving friends with her for 10 years one of the funniest people out there and i still have a hard time with the last name liza our very own owen benjamin that's me takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more you don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash wait for it comedy. There's 
no need to wait for it anymore because it's here and it's funny and I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.